<laughs> geeks are geeks, right? Geeks, are, we can't help it. We're going to geek. It's who we are. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Red Raccoon Radio. Uh, many of you who have been listening since episode one might have been wondering, hey, this was originally called just Red Raccoon Games. What happened? Well, as Bob Ross would call it, a happy accident. A happy uh, accident. I like that. Yeah, we had been talking about calling it Red Raccoon Radio long before we actually even did the podcast. Uh, and then it just kind of slipped out of my mouth in the last episode. Uh, we had a bit of a conversation about it, and it turns out everyone likes that title. So, I, I think it's a much better title, much yeah. better than where we were at before. Just alliteration is always key. Yeah. Uh, That's and, how Red Raccoon happened to start with. It was just alliteration. And it gets into your brain, and it, it can does. never leave, and that's why I come every week. <laughs> uh, that sultry voice that you're hearing is Jamie Matthew, owner of Red Raccoon Games, and our only co-host today. Yeah, everybody's busy. Um, is a lot. Just a, it's a busy weekend, right? Um, Jill is being incredibly awesome, and she she actually paid for a booth at the Bristol Renaissance Fair. I know probably a lot of our listeners have headed up there. You've been there, right? I have not. Oh, John, you've never been there? I oh. I have attended one Renaissance Fair in my life, and I feel like the need is growing once again. So Bristol's a lot sell of fun. Me. It sell is me on it this. is worth going. It's a long trek because Bristol. Is just over the border into Wisconsin, closer to the uh, the Milwaukee side than the Madison side. So it's a long trek to get there, but you know you go with some friends, and it's just a day of escapism. And it's funny because uh, Kelly and I got to go in 2019 before the COVID shutdown, and uh, there were some of the performers that were the same performers doing evolved skits, but the same performers from the last time I had gone, which was before Kelly and I got married, so 17 years ago. And uh, it was I was like, oh my God, um, Guido is still here. This is amazing. <laughs> and, and the acts were still hilarious. The booths, it's just, a, it's just so much fun getting away. They really adopt and, and pull the theme together to sell a Renaissance Fair. And it's one of the biggest, and I, I think somebody told me one of the longest-running Renaissance fairs in the United States. Um, tons of fun, absolutely with it. It only runs for uh, like eight weeks in the summer. And Jill got a booth up there. She's um, made and sold many craft things at the store. If you've ever seen like um, D20 earrings, Jill makes those. It, and, and her business is named uh, Waycraft Coven, Coven, if I say that the right way. And so if you see that stuff in the store, that's Jill is manufacturing, making those at home. She's a very crafty person. And she took her stuff to the Renaissance Fair, and she's doing very well. That is fantastic. Yeah, so she's up there um, and and maybe going a little crazy because um, she just got another new job, too, with her her teaching music career. So she's got to balance the Ren Fair with um, helping with Pokemon at the game store and her new job there as well. So it's, it's awesome. Jesse and um, Alexis and a big group of people from the store are an anime con. Jeff has taken some much-deserved time off today, so Hallelujah. it's just me and you. I, I'm not upset about this, but I am glad to hear that everybody is you know, pursuing some of their passions, especially right now uh, in 2021. But that doesn't leave us with uh, nothing to talk about because oh, no. the store is still hopping. What are some things that have been happening this week at the store? Uh, well, I think, wow, where to begin? Um, so the last couple of podcasts I have not participated in, and as anybody who's listened since the beginning, one of those, Kelly and I got some vacation in. We had a Ooh. great time. But the second one you guys did, I missed because I went to the Astra Toy Show. And um, Astra is the American Association of Toy and Specialty Manufacturing, right? So it's toy stores, and as you know, you know a lot of our geek families are having their own children, and they are trying to figure out what the best way to what the, what are the best games to play as a family? How do they bring the family together that way? And so things like stuffed animals and and some of the fidgety spinners and, and things of that that we've gotten over time. Um, have taken us a little bit into this geek realm of toys, and the toy industry operates so completely different than like the dedicated board game industry. But there are toy manufacturers who are also trying to figure out how do they cross over in the board games, and some great stuff's come out of there. So, so I 
went on a shopping spree. Of course you did. <laughs> and, um, and and a lot of this week has been catching up of me informing staff and saying, here's what's on its way, here's what's coming, and uh, us trying to figure out how to make room for it because... <laughs> You know, we've talked before in the past on some of the uh, episodes about shipping challenges in the world right now, and we're trying to order product now to make sure we have things during the holiday season. This is the earliest we've ever started stocking up as a store to make sure we have stuff for the holidays, and so I bought things to make sure we had things for the, the holidays. For instance, yesterday, we're recording this podcast on Sunday. Yesterday, we had a huge puzzle sale. Well, the reason why we did this is because I ordered so many new puzzles, we didn't know where we were going to put them. So we clearanced out puzzles that just haven't sold very well. Now we have space for all the new puzzles that are coming in. I will say, as we record, we are in a secret location that is just filled to the brim with your board game overstock. <laughs> and I look upon all of the shelves, and I have that question, too, of where you're going to put everything. So Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, um, it's funny. We were joking the other day that we have enough games in this, uh, this storeroom to start another game store. And we would actually, there's more games in this storeroom than most storerooms have, most, most other game stores have in product, period. Right. And this is our overflow space that we can use to restock to, to make sure we have stuff saved up for the holidays. That was an excellent way of uh, patting yourself on the back for having an awesome game store that is always ready to you like provide. That? I did. I you like, like that. that. That was very snuck yeah. in. Very well, sneakily. The other thing we've been working on too is, um, and I, I I don't know if we talked about this or not. We're working on an actual holiday catalog. And so, really? yeah, we're in the, we're trying to figure out with working with a couple other game stores on how do we share some of the costs because the design part of a catalog is actually kind of expensive. How can we share some of the costs? What works for your store? What works in my store? Um, which games that I already bought when we started stocking up are, some of them are already gone that other game stores can't get now, and we don't know if they're going to be restockable before Christmas. So we're trying to navigate what's going to go in that catalog, but we're working on a print catalog. Our goal is it will go out to households. All you know, we were, we're really focusing on McLean County, as well as we have a ton of customers who drive to us from Pontiac, Lincoln, and Clinton. And we're working on putting out a catalog to all of them, focusing on more families that haven't found us yet. You know, so this is going to be a, a real marketing piece aimed at people to say, "We exist. Come check us out." Um, you know, in the wake of there not being a Toys R Us or a Toys R Us catalog anymore, like right. there used to be, there's no longer a J.C. Penney's catalog, which was a big deal when I was growing up. I'm having flashbacks of getting the J.C. Penney's catalog, going ahead and taking the first two thirds of it, and just basically opening it up right in the middle and finding that toy page, and and just start ear dog earing all of the things that you're hoping to get yeah. for Christmas. Now, so it's not going to be huge, right? Because we're still a small company, so it's not going to be huge, but. But, um, you know, it, it'll be 20, 24 pages, you know, and um, we're also working on uh, Brittany and Alexis and Jeff have had some and Angel have had some amazing ideas like a, an activities page for kids is going to be included in there and a coloring contest. And they're trying to put, you know, here's that we exist as a store. Here are fun things for your kids anyway that you can do, even if you never choose to never come into the store. And then, of course, it'll be available digitally that we will send out to all of our existing customers. Most of you that come in on a regular basis will know um, a lot of the stuff that's in there anyway. But we're, we're trying to something new this year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's so. going to be a really interesting concept. Uh, not that it's a throwback, but it definitely still inspires that awe of Christmas time whenever you get to see the slew of everything that could possibly be yours. So Yeah, and it's it's this we always struggle with this idea of how do we reach new people. Gamers come to us, right? Yeah. Gamers will find us. It's just like when you travel or I travel um, you know, I was on vacation going, where are the game stores near us? Because I could drive over there and check their stores out. And I found a couple mm -hmm. of really cool stores and met some nice people. Gamers search stores out when they travel. But how do we find the non-gamers, the people who don't know that there are better things than High Ho Cherio and Candyland and Monopoly? That, you know, how do we take them to that next level? And, 
and and we're not a professional marketing company. We're using some great people to help us along the way, but it's a challenge. Guy yesterday was in for the puzzle sale and was like, oh, are you guys new? I was like, well, <laughs> just for the last 14 years, you know, seven years Ken had the store, seven years I've had the store now. Still get that all the time. Are you new? I've lived, they've lived in Bloomington for the last 25 years, had no idea we existed. I still blow people's minds whenever I talk to you about this. Talk to them about the store and just how much we love it. And they honestly don't even understand when I say downtown. They think that it must be in some alleyway downtown that you have to know a secret password to get. No. It's oh, right all there. the time. And, and and marketing can be so expensive. And as a society, we are so numb to the constant messages. So we we try to be fun. We try to be silly. We try to make things that stand out. And we're going to, how do you do that on a piece of paper? That's a little little harder. So, you know, I think it'll be good. It'll be good. It's going to be an interesting exercise, too. So, Speaking of having to try new things and, and exploring new boundaries, uh, I want to look a little bit at the conference uh, side of the board game industry, which is yeah. huge. Because we know we have Origins still coming up. Gen Con uh, just announced that they're going full face masks this year mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and so in order to make sure that everyone that coming there is safe and, and ready to enjoy their time, but still cutting down on the amount of people that will be available, not only for the publishers, but also the, the audience members as well. Uh, so for you, as somebody who has lived the, the convention scene, what do you think we're going to be seeing in the next few years that might change with conferences uh, for board games in general? Well... I mean, there's so many layers to the the conversation, you know. I had some conversations with publishers when it was announced that Gen Con was moving from the end of July and it was going to push back into September, you know, and I was saying, you know, we we go to look for new games to say what's going to be available for Christmas time, right? We would go to Gen Con and at Origins of Gen Con to say, to talk to publishers, what are you bringing out? What's going to be available that I could buy it and have it on my shelves for the holiday season? And um, Origins got moved first, and it's usually in early June, and it got moved into middle of October. And then Gen Con got moved from in, into the end of September right there, at the beginning of October. So they're very close this year. And I was talking to publishers, like, what are you going to do? There's two shows, and I think they're two and a half weeks from the start, end of one to the start of the next one. A bunch of publishers were saying they weren't going to go to Gen Con originally because Gen Con had made no plans based on a COVID world that we're living in right now. And um, other than saying they were only going to sell 50% of the tickets as normal. But they were saying they were going to sell 50% of the tickets as normal, but still charge the publishers full rate for their booth space. And publishers are looking at it as like, I get half the eyeballs and half the interaction, but I have to pay the full fee. Because for years, Gen Con has raised booth rates as attendance has gone up, you know. And so publishers were like, well, attendance is down. The rate should go back down, but that wasn't happening. So a bunch of them said they weren't going to go from a price factor and from a COVID factor. Sounds like some of them have now changed their mind, and now they're going to go to Gen Con. Um, Gen Con, they did just announce in, in a tweet that masks will be required in all public areas of the Gen Con, including in the, the hotels where there's overflow for some of the role-playing games that happen in the hotels. And their tweet actually said, we're not requiring vaccinations right now, but we may change our minds, so you should go get vaccinated. Having to stay fluid with their decisions. Yeah. I mean, I think that the these, the current surge of the Delta variant is changing a lot of people's plans where they thought we were finally over this, and we saw in May and June with numbers decreasing, 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 and then all of a sudden here comes Del, uh, Delta variant swinging a baseball bat at everybody, yep. right? Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see um, if they require vaccinations or not. There was a news article I just saw this morning that um, oh god, uh, Live Nation uh, they own Ticketmaster, huge concert pub uh, concert uh, producer all over the United States. Live Nation just said that they were going to require vaccination cards for entry to all concerts that they're putting on. 
That's huge. That's, that's massive. A, that's massive. You know, uh, we've got tickets coming up for a show at Wrigley Field, and Kelly and I have been talking about do we Delta variant, do we go and pack in at Wrigley Field or not? Do we stay away? What's going to happen there? And uh, yeah, everything is going to be everything's just going to be fluid and changing. I think people just have to keep paying attention and ride it out and try to figure out what's going to happen. I, I don't know right now. One of the longer-term effects of all this is um, we might see people just wearing masks on a regular basis. Japan, the Japanese, have been, if a person feels unwell in general, it's just part of their society that they just put a mask on to make sure that they're not spraying germs out at everyone else. And they have, over the last decade, a much lower of like flu epidemics and episodes than the United States has. Mm -hmm. It's just part of their culture. They also live in much tighter quarters than we do, right? They live way closer to each other than we we do. But maybe this just becomes part of American culture where if you're not feeling well, it's polite to put a mask on. I believe that... uh it was best described to me in the Japanese culture of wearing the mask that it's no different than covering your mouth when you sneeze. It's just a little bit more permanent. It's it's meant for the people that are around you. You are doing a favor to the people in your life who are exchanging the same you know, space as you are. And so That's a good way to think about it. Yeah, it's not necessarily a shield that you're using, but it's more of a a personal choice in order to show that you care about the people in your life or the people you work with or things along those lines. So I hadn't thought about it that way, but that totally makes sense. You know, because we've always known that uh, the masks that we have, they're not N95 masks. The mask right. is not to protect you. It's never been to protect you. The mask is always to protect other people from you. From yeah. if you have something and you don't know. Um, so that's that's interesting. I never that, I never heard of something like, like that before. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I also have another analogy about people uh, needing to relieve themselves on other people and how masks can protect from that. But we won't have to get into that in a rated G podcast. <laughs> I've seen that online. <laughs> we can avoid that. Speaking of things that can be a bit explicit but are brought down to a little bit more of a. Uh, Family-friendly manner. Okay, where are you going with this one? <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, okay. Are making a real push into media. Uh, yeah. We already talked about, I believe, on the podcast that there's a D and D movie coming out. Uh, Hugh Grant's going to be in it. Chris Pine's going to be in it. Michelle Hugh Rodriguez. Grant is the bad guy. Hugh Grant is the bad guy. Yeah. Can't wait to see that. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's going to be something hopefully special, better than the last Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> yeah, that movie. It was pretty bad. It, I, they they set a low bar to, to jump over. I watched it again recently just to see if it was bad as I remember. And, and I'm good with campy movies like mm-hmm. Evil Dead, Army of Darkness, and, and Toxic Avenger movies. Yeah. Those are those campy movies are some of my favorites. It was a, it's a pretty rough ride to get through that whole movie. I think that there's definitely a difference between campy movies and movies that know they're campy movies. Well, and, that's and true. And that's where Evil Dead, like, Bruce Campbell never woke up and said, this is going to be my Othello. <laughs> he said, you know what, I'm going to be just off the wall, sometimes literally, to, to get there. And obviously in the last Dungeons & Dragons movies, we didn't have that. There's right. a lot of people doing serious things yeah. that didn't translate well on the screen. Yeah, that's true. But there's been a weird twist now in some of the media that's coming out. Yeah. Well, um, we got if we got a D and D TV series. Yes. TV series that's is coming where we're going. out. Yeah. And uh, well, Hasbro bought a media company a few years ago called Entertainment One, which now the I think it's kind of rebranded. It's just you see it as this E One. I think mm-hmm. is what they're doing it now. That's what I've seen. And um, it, nobody knew what their plan was when they decided they were going to do this. And I think this was, um, you know, I have talked about often that the resurgence of Dungeons & Dragons, because Dungeons & Dragons is more popular now than it has ever been in its existence. And a huge factor of that has been the YouTube shows. Absolutely. Right? Critical Role. Dimension um, 20. You know, uh, or even the official D&D shows as well are well, well done. They're pulling in um, Hollywood talent to all these shows. That has been the growing factor because 
the most recent stat that I saw was that the fastest growing segment of the population is teenage girls that are getting into Dungeons and Dragons. Every high school in town has a D&D club now, and it's it's filled with you know it's filled with all these kids who have watched this stuff. They've consumed this media on YouTube. Can it take we take it from YouTube to the small screen? I don't know. Amazon's going to try it with the new Lord of the Rings TV series. Yep. Um, there was the uh, the Shinara books got con- converted into a series as well. Um, so a lot of the stuff I, I don't. So here's what I'm going to say and why I have faith in this. Okay, is tell me. Because the person who's doing it, uh, yeah. the the creative designer, I believe is his role, is the guy who co-created the TV show Eureka. Oh, that's so so good. No, for those of you that don't know, Eureka was an amazing TV show yeah. about a kind of a a cop who was in a town filled with geniuses, and he. People that were so smart that they were destructive and they had to be isolated away from normal people. Exactly. Yeah. So they are the the best and brightest. (laughs) The best and brightest, but they are also unable to sometimes comprehend just the the danger that they put the world around them. Yes. And his job was to come in and just bring that normal guy, you mean you're building a nuclear bomb but I shouldn't be worried? That doesn't that doesn't track that sort of mentality to it. Yeah, and the show itself lasted, I believe, around five seasons. They kept it remarkably fresh from doing because they had sci-fi as a background. They could do time travel, alternate dimensions. Every week it was something really. I think safe. it was one of the first big hits for the sci-fi as a as a, as a TV channel too. I would absolutely agree. Yeah, uh, it had just this kind of Andy Griffith around mad scientist <laughs> approach, and so that show enough is enough uh, enough to like make me have hope. Is he producing? Like the, he's the showrunner? Is he I directing? I believe he's in showrunner. Now there's okay. a few other people that have been assigned to this TV show. I think the roles are still being kind of hashed out. Okay, but I can tell you another reason why I like this guy and. For for the life of me, I don't know why I didn't write down his name. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. But he is also one of the people at Boom Studios, which is one of the up-and-coming comic book mm-hmm. uh, industry. Uh, they're, they're becoming a staple. Yeah. Uh, I am in love with a lot of their series. Lumberjanes is under their imprint. Okay. Uh, the one that I love the most is the Power Rangers series, which for those of you who know me shouldn't come as any surprise, but... They have taken a campy TV show that was made for children and has given it a weight and girth that is just impossible to measure for those who have been fans of it. See, and it's interesting because Jesse is incredibly passionate about Power Rangers too. I am just enough older than you guys that for me, Power Rangers was this super cheesy kids show that my my youngest brother was like, I want to watch the Power Rangers. You know, and it was like a fight because none of us wanted to watch it except for him, and he'd throw a temper tantrum. So I don't have a lot of positive memories associated with it, but the the 30 to 35-year-old crowd remembers this show with such hope and passion and and pureness that I'm just, it it it's boggling. It really is. And the fact is, in all of this content from Boom Studios, it has people that are in that age range to love the show as the creators. It's people who are passionate about the projects that they always get to work on their properties that then, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic comes out of there, and it's people that are fans of it. And I think that's one thing that we're seeing even more with the Star Wars universe as well. Like, Dave Flanoy is a Star Wars fan. Yeah. He, he was not just a person that is, I do movies and I will do Star Wars. It was, I am a Star Wars fan that does movies. Yeah. And when he came in and is now bringing his vision along with, and I can't think of his name. Well, you had uh, uh, James Gunn, or you got J.J. Abrams. Not, not That's more Star Trek and, um, and Abrams some was Z doing stuff. Those, yeah, he really plotted out those first three of the prequel, which I think was on a, the right trail, kind of petered off near the end, but we can get into that another time. 
but uh, I was thinking more of uh, he was Happy Hogan and Iron Man. Can't think of his name. Oh, uh, oh, uh, this is yeah. when people shout at their speakers yeah, in their he cars. They listen to this. My, uh, my fa- John Favreau. There it is. Yes, he was my favorite role still, as he was Gutter in the movie uh, PCU, which <sighs> nobody watched. I have seen PCU. Yeah, it we was. We can have that talk. That was one of his first acting roles ever. Mikey and Swingers. Um, and it, oh, by the way, I'm, I know I'm taking this off track, but I love Favreau. He's a, he got a movie out called Chef. Yeah. If you haven't seen Chef, is amazing. Where he runs a, him and his son in a food truck going across America with um, John Leguizamo's. Such a good movie. Sorry, I, I no, totally digress there. It's it's completely fine because that's the thing. These are people that have grown up in these universes that are now getting to have creative control of. Them. Yeah. And it's not people guess working what fans want because. These are the people that were in message boards. Yeah. And so having a person like that at the helm of a D&D TV show, I feel like gives me a little bit more hope that it's going to be he's going to look to the fans. When it looks when he looks for writers, he wants people that have played D&D. Uh, I still think to this day the best content for D&D has been the community episode. Oh. That that allows them, and I was very sad because they made some choices to take it off certain streaming platforms because of insensitivity, which I completely understand. But it was an element where they didn't have to transform; they didn't make the characters dress up. It was literally the episode was them playing D and D at a table, just vocalizing to one another, and it made it work. And I don't think that's what this TV show is going to be, but. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of crossovers that could be done too, right? I mean, it's yeah. is is this a show about the characters living in their world, mm-hmm. or is this a show like the cartoon, right? Characters right. from our world on the roller coaster, coaster. Oh, can't say roller coaster. Is this a show about kids on a roller coaster getting somehow transported, which has been done in multiple novels as well? Um, some of them really fun, some of them really dark and gritty. Some of them cartoons. Some of them cartoons, yeah. Um, it'll be interesting how they do this. And uh, is this is it a show where we're we're focusing on all new characters, or are we going to see any of the beloved characters like Wolfgar, Cadbury, Bruno, um, Driz, um, Drizit, or however you pronounce it? Yeah, everybody pronounces it differently. Uh, I'm probably wrong. Um, or even. We're gonna get Minsk and Boo, or get him Boo. Just get uh, the rock know. as Minsk. I'm I'm good with that. Oh God, that would be crazy. Just as a one-shot episode, you see him <laughs> off in the distance. The miniature giant space hamster. Yep. <laughs> so, speaking of trying to find those like creative characters yeah. and what that's gonna bring, Dungeons and Dragons is also doing something a little bit different with the way they're playing their games as well. Uh, they have denounced that they're going to have a new line from WizKids called Frameworks. Yeah. And this is kind of a different approach to miniatures than I've ever really seen in Dungeons & Dragons. Now, if I'm wrong, please correct me. But the idea is that it's supposed to be more like what we see in Warhammer or Gunplug, Gundam models, giant mm-hmm. robot models, where you have a, a model that comes in segments. It's still on its pegs from being you know, printed. Yeah. You have to detach it put it together, paint it, and it has some custom customization options from you can choose to have a sword or a shield in this hand, or this has a spell book or some spell effect, or you can put something on their shoulder like an animal companion, and allow you a little bit more freedom in the creation of how your individual character is going to look. Uh, is this something that's happened before from WizKids? Because I, I mean, from D&D in general, I guess. Mm, kind of. Um... When I was a kid, Ralph Partha used to be the only real name in, in miniatures, and they were all, well, I'm old enough that some of them were lead, and then we discovered that was a bad idea. So then they started making everything in pewter, and some of those models back then did have to be assembled. It was a whole different world because what you could do with pewter versus what we can do with modern plastics and printing processes now are so night and day different. So, um, and, and I think Ralph Parth is still around. I think you can still get pewters from them. It's, they're just not as mainstream as they, they have been. 
you know, kind of this reemergence of this idea of miniatures uh, really gained a lot of hardcore traction with the Dungeons and Dragons miniatures game, which uh, was around as a strategic game mostly during the fourth edition era of D and D, and they put out for the first time that I remember seeing, and there, I could have missed some stuff along the way, pre-painted minis, which was new. Mm-hmm. Um, Wiz Kids. Uh, that the game ended, and, and some of those minis did not have great quality. They're cool for nostalgia factor, and some of them are really well done, but some were just not done well. Um, so, because pre-painted minis are always a challenge, WizKids got the contract to do miniatures um, years ago, and they really um, reinvigorated with much better technology that pre-painted minis line where you got the blind boxes, uh, and they did a nice job there. Reaper was a big line for unpainted minis. Yep. Um, WizKids then came in with the line of unpainted minis we've had for the few sh- first last few years at the store. They're pre-primed by with Vallejo paint. They're really well done, but they're all pre-assembled with maybe there was one piece you had to attach if it just wouldn't fit in the box. There's a limitation to what you can do in an injection molding system when you have that. Right. So I, I went in a big segue there, kind of bring us to now that now this idea of doing them on sprues, you can be you can put so much more detail into the mini that you ever do. You, you get some of the customization that you were talking about, where you can pick the weapon, pick the familiar, pick some of the scenery, um, not scenery, but some of the basing options but also the level of detail that they can do if it doesn't have to be a one-piece injection mold is the early proofs we're seeing pictures, the detail is going to be so much higher. It absolutely is. And it's going to be detail on the level that we've seen with Warhammer. Warhammer has, um, and Games Workshop, Warhammer and Age of Sigmar have amazingly detailed minis. Um, They're not cheap but they're ridiculously detailed. And we're going to see some of that with this, too. There's, these minis are going to be more expensive than right now, $599. You can get any of the um, player character size minis. I think we're going to see more like $1599. Interesting. Yeah, so we're going to see a higher price point. We're going to see a bigger box. And that's going to be because there's going to be options in the box of they've got to put the option in there even if you choose not to use it. If you want the customization, there's going to be a cost that goes along with it. So um, the first wave of them coming out is going to have 32 options. Some of them will be characters. Um, there's going to be like a box of orcs and a box of kobolds. kobolds. Yep. So you'll have details to build different orcs, different kobolds to put into your campaign. There's a massive uh, orcus model that is super detailed and looks amazing. And you can see pictures of them. If you just search, um, you know, Google um, uh, WizKids, they'll come right up in the news feeds. And, and yeah, we're looking forward to it. A little concerned of where we're going to put them, though, um, space-wise, because the box with the options is going to be bigger than the packaging that we have right now. And if you've looked at that mini's wall, it's pretty tight. Yep. So we're excited and wondering at the same How time. How going to look? Is it going to be a gun pull box, like where it's still got kind of maybe an inch thickness to it that you have to manage? Probably not, because it's not going to be as sophisticated as probably one of those models, but yeah, I can definitely see spacing-wise that changes the whole dynamic of a shelf. Very much. And and we specifically, WizKids has been pretty good about communicating with stores. They have a Facebook retailer forum that Jesse and I both participate in and watch and see what's going on. And last week, Jesse put a question out there. I said, can you tell us the box dimensions? Are these hanging boxes? Are they standing on a shelf? What do we need to prepare to get ready for this? And it's, the, the answer was, it'll stand on a shelf or it'll have a hang tab. You can go either way you want to go. But we didn't get a solid answer for, is it, I would rather it be thicker um, than wider. But if you, you know, from a marketing pers- perspective, if the marketing guy got his way, he wants it to be wider and facing out to everybody. Um, and visual catch yes. that maybe is different than what we've seen now. And years. I think it's probably going to be that, but that's going to, we're going to have shelving issues of where do we put the stuff. It's, you know, it's always with every, uh, 
every bonus there comes a, a, a bane as well a little bit, right? So exactly. we're excited for these and we're, we're interested to see how they go. But it's going to require some different skills too because right now people haven't had to cut things off of sprues. Yep. They haven't had to, like, do I need to sand or file this to get this nice and smooth? Now we've got to glue it together. Some skills there, some patience that I don't always have <laughs> to glue things and make sure that they line up just the way that you want it. And then then you got to prime it yourself. The other ones have been pre-primed. So we're going to, it's, it's going to be a little bit more advanced process for people than take this and start painting. So when you gunpla uh, paint designers and you Warhammer fanatics have the D&D people coming to you begging for help, will you turn them away? <laughs> the choice is yours. Yeah, well, and that's it'll be something too. Jessica's been teaching painting classes for us uh, all the way through COVID, and they've been doing those over Zoom, and they've done very well. I think last month was the first in-person one. And so we're going to have to double back and revisit some of those basic skills that you just haven't really had to use for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, cutting and painting and priming and all that sort of stuff is going to be have to now be part of the process to make sure everybody's up to speed with how to do this best. Now, do you think this has anything to do with companies like Hero Forge and the many clones that are coming from the 3D design space where you can actually go on a website, design the character exactly the way you want, and then have it either shipped to you or if you happen to have a friend or own a 3D printer yourself, actually just create the models as you need? Yeah, no, I really do think that this is, well, I think this is that and there's another story that's also part of this too. So on a limited basis, we have had some of these models that you've had to cut apart and put together available from Gale Force 9. Gale Force 9 has had a line of D&D premium models. I have some of them. Um, they're very, they were very well done. Um, most of mine are still in the box because of the whole cutting and gluing and sanding process and my ADD personally. But they're very well done. And, but Gale Force 9 and Hasbro ended up in a lawsuit a couple years ago. Nobody knew exactly the details. It was a lot of hush-hush. And then the, the lawsuit was just resolved with no public details about what happened. Out came out of that lawsuit. But then all of a sudden, WizKids now has the license to do the official D&D paints, which are coming out as well. Uh, official D&D paints um, are going to be licensed, basically Vallejo paint in licensed bottle distributed by WizKids. Um, we haven't decided if we're going to carry that or not because we've had so many issues with Vallejo and distribution of trying to carry their paints. Like, we want to buy these. Please sell these to <laughs> us, right? Um, but that came out of it because Gale Force 9 was selling an official D&D paint set that was licensed paint rebranded from Army Painter. Oh, yeah, and there was an official D&D paint brush set that was licensed, licensed brushes from Army Painter. So now licensed D&D paint will be from Vallejo, distributed by WizKids. So there's some of that story of some internal, you know, internal politicking between companies that happened and some jockeying for who got to use the license and who didn't. And then um, also, yeah, I think there's a response to the highly detailed stuff that you can get from Hero Forge that this will be more detail, more options, but still a lower price point than Hero Forge. Um, Hero Forge, I think, if you really want to do the good options and get a really good model, you have to do their premium plastic. And I think they're 30 bucks right now mm-hmm. to get one mini of a PC character size. Including shipping? Yeah. They have a lower cost plastic option as well, but I've gotten a couple of those. I'm not sure if you ever had. And, well, they are lower cost, lower quality, right. not as detailed. Um, the premium one, I did get one of those. It's nice. It's also $30 for one mini. So catch 22 there. Which way do you go there? So this, I think they're trying to maybe bridge that middle ground of, okay, what if it's a $15 mini, but you got to do some of the work yourself? Mm-hmm. Mm, that could be where we're going. And at least it's in your hands as you're creating it, not that you've created it and have to wait three to four weeks for it to get shipped to you. Yeah. Because they have to still print it, clean it, get it polished, and send it to you as well. Exactly. So. 
Yeah, and, and, and they've got a cool thing do, they're doing now, too, where you can get the color ones as well. Yes. And I think those are like $40, but it's an option. If you've got, you know, there's they always talk about in economics, there's the triangle, right? There's uh, quality, time, or money. Pick two. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm willing to wait for the time and I have the money, I can get that quality. This is, a, I don't have the money, but I want the quality. I'm going to have to put in the time myself and build the model. So, And I will say I think HeroForge has been really shifting their focus to the people that own the 3D printers. Because there's now even part of their subscription, every month they release a pack of pre-generated STL files, which you use to 3D print. So here's five cobalts. Here's five skeleton pirates. Here's yeah. five orcs that we've designed. You can just print off. Uh, at your leisure, you get the STL files if you subscribe. Yeah. So that well, kind and of and that's 3D printing is an interest. You know, it's got its own time factor too. Absolutely. Right? Because you've printed enough stuff, I've printed enough stuff to go that sometimes you do everything exactly the same way that you've done it 15 other times, and it just doesn't work this time mm-hmm. with no rhyme or reason of why it didn't work this time. You know, Jessica got a, picked up a 3D printer and was printing a ton of stuff and doing some really good stuff. And she's, we were talking a couple of weeks ago and she's like, well, I haven't really printed anything. I thought you were, I'm like, I thought you were going heavy and you were doing all this cool stuff. She's like, I just got so annoyed by the number of misprints that were happening. I just kind of, it kind of got burned out a little bit on it. I'm not sure if you're there or not, but. I hit that mark and I came back to it. And okay. I can say that I continually. It's something that the, the the culture, especially on Reddit, is great for 3D printing if you if you do the time and do the research. Yeah. But uh, there's just those points where you have these eureka moments of you have to kind of just do it to figure it out. Yeah. And why you might tilt a, a character. I didn't never understood that when 3D printing, you tilt it and you keep it off the platform. I was printing directly on the platform for so long, and it was so hard. My my platform for my 3D printer is so scraped up because I kept on getting it stuck. I didn't realize that the software is enabling you to do it this specific way because it makes things so much easier and makes the model look so much cleaner. And, of course, if I now look, read all of these items that make more sense to me, but until I just figured it out myself, I couldn't get there. Yeah. And that still then is... Now I print, yes, I might have more successes, but I still have to take off all the supports myself. I still have to do all the priming, the painting, so that's still on me. Mm-hmm. And I still can't always say that the quality is 100% better than what I see at the store. So for me, it's more of a hobby that I indulge in, not necessarily something I feel like is a superiority uh, factor in what I do. And that goes back to the time. Exactly. Right? The amount of time that you're investing and in learning and reading and trying and printing and, and, and coming up with stuff, everything, if you've got that time and you're willing to invest that time, um, you can do some really cool stuff. You know, I was talking this, again, you know, I talked to people all the time. Hell, anybody who's been in the store knows I talk all the time. <laughs> and we were talking about 3D printing. It was a younger guy and he was, he was like, um, you know, are you worried about 3D printing putting the store out of business? And I said, it's something that we pay attention to the technology. 3D printing is, I think, going to be the future of, or at least part of the future of um, miniatures and and, uh, stuff like that. It's got to get easier. It's got to get easier. It's got to get, um, it's got to stop being a hobby where you've got to invest all that time in it before it really gets to the point of, um, mass adoption. Because yep. if you look at something like, um, let's use MP3s as an example, right? When MP3s first came out, um, transferring them was incredibly difficult. Um, ripping a CD into MP3s was difficult because of the industry didn't want us to. And so they were doing things in their way. But then making an mp3 portable was an issue and then apple came out and revolutionized the industry by saying look we have made a piece of software and a piece of hardware that your that your grandma could use or grandpa will will not be sexist we'll say grandparents grandparents could you could use it's so easy to do this 
and by the way, we made them 99 cents for to download any song you want. So they took all of the pain points out of the MP3 and the music industry and completely upended the music industry. And until somebody figures out how to make a 3D printer that is so easy to use and fast um, that everybody could do it at any point that they wanted to, I'm not worried. How long does that take? I don't know because you know technology moves so fast. Is that five years? Mm-hmm. Is it 10 years? I, I don't know. We're just now seeing 3D printers with conveyor belts. So that way, as you print the model, it moves down the row so you can keep on printing into mm-hmm. a new spot. That is a genius idea, but it's been... How long has 3D printing been around now? At, At least, least 10 years. Yes. And 10 years where it's been affordable enough where you or I could even touch one. Exactly. So we're just now getting to the point where you don't have to do a hard reset every time you want to print something. Yeah. you got to rebalance the boards, make sure is the heating in the right place. And that's exactly. FDM. Resin is a whole new world. Oh, yeah. Resin, I mean, now we're finally starting to see some resins that aren't toxic, Right when I first got the resin printer that you see at the store, the resins that came with it were would cause skin burns, right? Toxic burns on your skin. So you got to mask up, and then it's, you know, I used to tell people it was like 45 minutes of prep, and then 45 minutes of cleanup, with a six-hour window in the middle of trying to print this model to get it to the detail level we want. Eight hours to commit to maybe putting five on a bed was rough. Got some new ones now that have a much bigger bed. Now maybe I can print 12. Yep. I don't know. It's it's interesting to watch the evolution of how this is coming about. But WizKids is, to bring us all the way back around, they're offering a middle ground right now where if you don't have that time commitment to wait or the money to commit into buying a 3D printer and the resins and, and learning everything you need there, here's an option. It's a reasonable price, $15. Um, to get a super detailed, super customizable mini. And I think that there will be another part of it where not only because you can choose how to assemble the figure, but also because you did assemble the figure, there will be a sense of ownership Mm -hmm. that is a little bit beyond just the, I painted this this way because I liked it that way. It'll be that I built this figure. This scratch mark is because my nail clippers accidentally dug in too deep, so I just molded around it. That sort of thing will become a little bit more connected to the pieces that you play with. Yeah, and I think you can do that for D&D and games like D&D and Warhammer, but you couldn't do that for like, a zombicide or something like that. Like, it's yeah. really a board game that has minis in it. I think those are two completely separate hobby markets that you're marketing to that people would never do that. I mean, there's people who do some pretty amazing paint jobs on their zombicide sets or on their, you know, uh, call it Shovel Knight or whatever it might be. Um, but I don't think that they would take the time to sit and assemble 85 zombies in the box. Speaking of Shovel Knight, you were saying that it's in the new hotness right now, correct? It is. It is. Well, it was yesterday. We only got eight. So um, the Shovel Knight, the Dungeon Duels, is was brand new. It arrived on, I think it got there Thursday. And we took it out of the box and we're like, oh, this looks amazing. Um, Shovel Knight, of course, being an incredibly popular video game. Yep. Um, video game franchise, really, multiple video games. Still growing. Yeah, still going there, that somebody converted into a, basically a 2D side-scrolling board game with some really detailed models of, you know, it's a competitive game, and you can play with um, the four colors of the of the knight themselves, or you can play with the add-ons, the alternate characters that popped up in the game sometimes, like the, the Reaper, um, they we each had different weapons other than the shovels. And then some great-looking bad guys that you can yes. take out along the way. So, yeah, that was... Um, uh, I have only played Shovel Knight one time, but other people were super excited. And I don't know how long that one's going to last on the shelves, because... If it's even there now. <laughs> it, it, yeah, you said you didn't see it. I don't know if it sold out yesterday after I left or not. I didn't see it, no. And I will say that the company that created it, Pandacult, has been... They did not create the Shovel Knight video game, but they did translate it into the board game. Yeah. They do some really interesting stuff. So they're the first people that I played a game. They also did uh, Barnacle Bay. Okay. One. And that game had a very interesting mechanic where you had an initiative tracker, 
and where you were in the initiative tracker determined a special trait that you had. So if you're in this spot in the initiative, you get an extra attack bonus, but your enemies are also on the initiative tracker. So you might want to choose during your turn to change your initiative order so that they don't have that extra defense, so that you can actually start hitting them a little bit harder or not give them that advantage that they might need. Or this enemy is already super fast, we don't need to give them the speed boost. And it was just this one little element that really revolutionized the game for us. And so when we got to see, my wife and I went to Gen Con in 2019, and we got to see what they were doing with, with Shovel Knight. We got to play a round of it, and I can tell you, it is all the fun of that side-scroller adventure of thinking spatially, but at the same time, that crunch of that back of that screen is chasing you and you can't go back. So you gotta figure out where you're going and you don't know what's ahead of you, but you have to figure it out when you get there. And well, and, and we will, these were the deluxe Kickstarter versions of Shovel Knight. There is a retail release coming too. It just won't have the big giant box with all the 3D right. minis in it. So, you know, it won't also have the price tag of this one too because this box, this was 179, I think, if Ooh. I'm remembering. So because a lot of minis in that box. If we, you know, with the retail release, you could still have all the fun. The minis will be replaced by cardboard cutouts or, or uh, something like that. And you'll, it'll lose a little of like the, the impact on the table, but it won't stop it from being a really fun game. Right. You know, we've, we've, we have had a trend in the last five years where everybody feel like feels like that every game must have these really high-res minis in there. And I own some games with some really cool stuff in the box. I've seen your zombie side collection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a little excessive, right? Everybody's got their thing. Yep. Mine's Zombicide. And, um, but, but, you know, it doesn't mean that the, the that, that really can take away from the gameplay. You could still have an amazing time with cardboard miniatures or even you know um again sometimes i date myself by saying back in the day everything used to just be a, a square printed chit and that's oh. all that you got in the box so and we still had an amazing time with some awesome games back then so a game that actually doesn't have a lot of minis but is on the new hotness too is fire tower have you gotten to play with that one at all I haven't. That's another one that we got. That's the the Kickstarter version that we brought in, and um, includes the exclusive expansion. There's again retail release, but this one we got the expansion that was part of the Kickstarter with it, and it's a game about um, literally controlling forest fires and <laughs> little on, it, it, little on the nose for this day yeah, and age. And and um, setting fire breaks to protect your areas and trying to turn the fires on to your competitors. So it's not co-op. It's a competitive game of you're trying to save your area at the cost of everybody else. So anybody listening, please don't set any fires on your competitors. <laughs> it's not where we're at. Video games can influence violence. I'm sure board games this might is too. A game. So let's go ahead and put that caveat out there. We're all on the same page that we play games for fun. Um, yeah, but that's another new one that we, we just got in uh, from the Kickstarter that they put out as well. I have not had a chance to get gotten a chance to play that one. Um, I'm looking forward to it, but one that'll cross over from new hotness and you all, we always do a segment of um, what what are you playing now? Yep. A, can I cheat a little bit? Absolutely, jump uh, in. Okay, Dice Miner. Have you seen Dice Miner yet? I saw the box, but I didn't look yeah, into it. Yeah, we just got it. Um, and we do have the Kickstarter deluxe versions of that one as well. Um, we will be getting the retail ones, um, but we've got the Kickstarter deluxe ones right now. Super fun, super fast. Um, dice mining, well, not dice mining. It's, it's a dice drafting set collection kind of game. And it, I taught Jesse and Jeff how to play it, and we finished a full game in 30 minutes. So it's a fast-played game, so you can get a lot of replayability. And the gist of it is, is there is a mine that you create in the deluxe version. It's on this really cool tilted platform that you, you grab a handful of dice out of the bag, and then you drop them in this platform and let them fall where they will, and that sets up your mind for this round. Um, in the regular version, that's just like a cardboard standee, but this one's got a really nice formed mind. And then what you do is you, 
on, on your turn, you draft dice out of that mine, but you have to take dice in such a way that it doesn't shift the rest of the mine. If you think like we're digging, we don't want to shift the rest of the mine and cause a cave in, so we're drafting dice. And there is, um, there are gems that you're trying to collect. You're trying to build your basic mine out by collecting the numbers one through five on there. If you, each one of those you get and in a row, like you're building a straight is end, end point, um, victory points. Um, there are obstacles in the way, like some of the dice represent falling rocks or dragons that are hazards unless you get the green dice to offset them and turn them from negative points. If you get the uh, the mine die, the symbol on one of your green dice, that turns all your falling rocks into positive points. Interesting. If you get the shield, it turns all the dragons into positive points. Um, and then there's magic. You can get the blue dice that are magic, and it allows you to re-roll your die. So you draft the die on the side it's showing, but then you can use magic to re-roll that into a possible different thing. Interesting. So you see, so you draft out all the die for a round. Everybody does a re-roll scores. Then for round two, you pick up all the dice that you drafted. There's a dice cup in the deluxe version. You shake it and you roll out your dice. And then that's your starting point for round two where we fill that die, that mine up again. And now I have my dice I just rolled and I know what my configuration is. Now that might affect how I draft and what I want out of that mine for round two. Three rounds of drafting, set up your points, highest score wins. 30 minutes. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Jesse and Jeff walked away from the table of, I didn't think I was going to like this game, and now we're going to play this a lot. That's great. Yeah, sometimes you need those fast games to fill in the gaps because so-and-so is running late to get to this. And, and if you've got those, those good, solid games that you can fill in with that everybody has a good time, when you know Barney shows up, you make him wait till you're finished that last yep. five minutes. He knows what he did. Yeah, he knows Barney he's knows late. What he did. He's late. Uh, as we don't have somebody else uh, at the table with us, I'll go ahead and, and fill one of the roles of uh, what's been on my table because yeah. it actually kind of relates to the new hotness. I know okay. it just slid off, but my wife and I finally got to go into Descent Journeys into the Dark. Oh yeah. And it has. It's still set up, up on a demo table. It's just not in the new hotness. Correct. And it is living up to all the expectations that we talked about on the podcast a few days, uh, weeks ago. I have mine. It has not even been opened yet. I'm like, i got to get to that one. So I would say that at first when I looked at it, I wasn't let down, but I was very surprised on how few minis there were. Uh, and I didn't quite understand what we were getting into until we lifted off one of the boxes off of a larger box that predominantly seemed kind of empty-ish, and that's when my wife went to work, who is an amazing organizer and, and is usually the person that sets up all our games, and she started putting together all of the different terrain that we would have to deal with in the game. The arches, the stairways. She showed me how well they just were flushed together, so that you always felt like as you were building, it really was this exploration. This fog of war was being released as you played. The app, of course, as we were talking about, is incredible. It does give you that sense of a bit of personality for your character. You can craft them to, to the way that you want that character to p be played, but also leaves replayability for later on. Yeah. Uh, at times it asks you questions of, is your character going to be more like this trait or this trait? And they've already previewed that you can focus all in one or the other or mix and match, and it will affect the game in different ways, but there's no advantage. So it's not like Paragon or Rebel. Like You actually can create kind of this gray character between the 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 two traits and find your own story within mm -hmm. it. Um, so far, the storytelling has been fantastic. Uh, I'm intrigued by what's going on. It's not overly complicated. I don't have that much experience in the Descent world, uh, but it does still pull from those past stories that you played if you've played the previous versions. So I'm excited to get more into it. I think I'm in Chapter 3. We've just gotten to town where we can learn that the items that we collect with the app as we play can now be created to craft weapons that then you can move into your deck and be used. So it really is finding that nice merger between the video game handiness of, of having a menu screen, but still playing it on the table, still not taking your eyes away from what you're doing and how you're trying to approach things. I heard so. this, this sound is really good too you know the, the it's, audio it, it's one of those things that's so nice i forget to say something about it because it's just ambiance yeah uh it doesn't take away it's not overloading you 
the way my wife and I play is we're lucky enough to uh, have a game room and we have a TV that we just stream our uh, iPad to. So we're actually watching it together on a big screen, hearing the sound come through these really nice speakers. It's a it's an experience to be had. That's so, awesome. I mean, and I think that sometimes we forget how. I mean, that's why there's an Academy Award for sound, right? Exactly. We forget how much sound can pull you in and create and shape that experience. I've, you know, I've done that at the D&D table a few times too, where, you know, you, when somebody's not expecting there to be a sound and you pull that sound in, the, the sound of air hissing through a tunnel or something, you can really shape the narrative quite a bit there. So this idea of, you know, it's it's that crossover where we we like to say that we are a store where we don't have electronic things. This is to get away from electronics, but sometimes introducing that extra element back into the game can really shape a completely different experience. Um, I, you know, they had done really great sound work with Mansions of Madness and some Absolutely. some of the really creepy sounds that you got in the background of while you were exploring. So I'm gra- I'm so happy to hear that they really brought it again with the new version of Descent. I, I, when it comes to sound, one thing that I always look towards is the Marvel movies that do such a great job with creating a, a story with the music themselves. So Captain America has a theme, but as you watch Captain America throughout all these different movies, his theme changes depending on where he's at. Uh, until the very bitter end. It's still his theme, but they will change the cadence or the rhythm just to fit where where he is mentally. And even in the new What If series, in the first episode, it's what if Peggy Carter became Captain America. Oh, sure, spoil that for me, John. Surprise. Uh, (laughs) Captain Carter is what she gets called. She has her own theme that is based on the Captain America theme. Yeah. But it's so in your mind, you have this sensation of, this is Captain America, but it's different Captain America. And when it comes to games, as you're saying, having theme music or having that background music really does just inspire that thought of this is something familiar, but it's also something that's immersive at the same time. No, that's it's cool. And and we're going to see it again later this year, um, maybe, well, maybe later this year, with uh, Hasbro bringing back HeroQuest. Yes. Right? With HeroQuest is supposed to have an app, too. So we'll see how they do when HeroQuest arrives um, and if they manage to, you know, live up to the expectations that um, Asmodee has set the bar. And they've done very well with the original Descent, with Mansions of Madness, with Imperial Assault, now with the new Descent. And... HeroQuest has got some big shoes they got to step to. We were talking about Hasbro earlier with their um, E1 production arm. Hopefully somebody there is paying attention. Yep. And, and they can live up to the hype because HeroQuest is another one of those things like Jesse's got Mighty Morphin Power Rangers as his um, you know fond childhood memories. There's a lot of people that HeroQuest is that for them. I made a friend specifically in school because I knew he had HeroQuest because I wanted to invite him to my birthday so that he would run HeroQuest for me. Yeah. It was conniving. It was evil for an eight-year-old to do, but I did it, and I'm and I'm happy I did. <laughs> but unfortunately, that app is not here yet. So tell me, for this week, what's going on at the store? What can we expect? Oh, uh, okay. So this week coming up, um, the first thing is... Starting yesterday and going through the rest of this week, this is um, Pokemon Evolving Skies. So it is our Q3 release of Pokemon, and this one's got a lot of people excited because every Eeveelution is in this set. So um, the character Eevee, um, you know, evolves into. See, there's eight of them. I don't know if I can remember all eight of them, so I'm not even going to try. Oh, that, um, that will be a game show for another episode of this podcast. Can, can we name all Eevee's evolutions? Yeah. Um, but there's all eight of them and in one set. Eevee, I think I saw, is the third most popular Pokemon character after Pikachu and uh, Charmander. Um, actually, not Charmander, Charizard specifically. Um, and so having all the Eeveelutions in one set, a lot of collectors are super excited about this one. Um 
we had pre-release boxes, again, as of the time we're talking about, they might be sold out because they were selling at a pretty good clip when they started the sale yesterday. Um, but the official release of where we can sell all of the products for Evolving Skies is August 23rd for us because pre-release stores like us get to sell on Monday, whereas everybody else has to wait till Friday. So Monday the 23rd, we can sell that. This upcoming weekend, we'll also see um, the Mystery Booster Convention Edition for Magic the Gathering. That's dropping, and uh, a lot of people are really excited about that because it's got it's designed for drafting, and that's what we do at the store a lot. Drafting is a casual, more casual format of Magic, which is why we love it. Um, and a lot of people are very excited for that product, but it's going to be very limited. Um, so there's those two things going on. And then we've got coming up the fourth Saturday of every month, Jeff does a Learn to Play Dungeons and Dragons. And a lot of people, he does an amazing job of saying, for people who have never even rolled a D20 before, explaining what's going on, helping them make a character that makes them happy, and then running that new character through an adventure. And it's Jeff's session is written such a way that it drops somebody off right at the beginning of the starter box adventure. So you finish there, and you could go home with the starter box for 19 bucks and play at home and keep the story going right from there and slide right into that starter box adventure, which is a really fun adventure by itself. Um, those are the three big things going on. Tons of new product going to be on the way. I bought some... New um, toys are coming. Yes, and some of it is amazing. Some of it is silly. Some of it is um, educational cause, and, and fun at the same time. I bought Bill Nye, the science guy, science kits that are going to be coming to the game store because last year with COVID and kids all being at home and not be able to do science projects, parents asked us to bring in science kits for them. We did. And they sold out completely. We couldn't wow. just, bam, they were gone. And then we went to get restocks. We couldn't get restocks because they were just out everywhere. Um, so th I found, I got some science kits back from that same line we had last year, just some slightly different ones. And this is, um, these are some Bill Nye kits where it is science experiments with augmented reality using your phone and virtual reality using a set of virtual reality goggles. It's all three combined into the book doing the experiment, augmented reality for the, um, to, to make sure you do an experiment right, and then some virtual reality to say, now that you did the experiment, here's what we learned from that, all combined together. I also brought in some card games that are, <laughs> sorry, it cracks me up, because the company who did it, the card games are based on their grandmothers, and they're shipping in, um, ladies uh, cigarette wallets if you remember those the little cigarette purses where you yeah. had the little pouch in the front to hold your lighter and then you put your cigarettes inside of the, the <laughs> purse it, and the card games ship in those and it's such an amazing you know and the names of the games are named after their grandmothers and their grandmothers nicknames um, and they're going to be just hilariously fun so that's awesome. Yeah, I found all this new stuff at the at the toy show that we're bringing in that's going to fit right in with what we've got at the store. We just got to figure out where we're going to put it. That seems to be the internal question of this episode. It might be even in the title. Where are we going to put it? <laughs> where are we going to put this? But uh, if you have any questions about uh, Grandma's Games, uh, Bill Nye the Size Science Kits, or anything else that we talked about on this episode today, feel free to email info at redraccoongames.com. Yep. Uh, just put podcasts in the subject line somewhere so we know that it needs to be sorted differently. Yeah. And we'll take a look at that and get back to you as soon as possible. Uh, but with that, thank you again for joining us. Jamie, thanks for sitting down. And, and I will now go ahead and unmanacle you from the chair. Uh, and until next time, everyone, uh, keep playing. Thanks, guys. Thanks.